Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. One of the things that energizes our teams the most is being able to hear stories of lives that are impacted by this ministry. We would love for you to share your story with us by emailing it to stories at newcommunity.co or maybe your next step to getting connected to what God is doing in this ministry is partnering with us financially. You can do that online at www.newcommunity.co or through the PushPay app and find the giving option that works best for you. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. I know we're constantly surrounded by bad news, but you've picked a great place to be this morning because we're going to be talking about good news. And if you're a guest here this morning, if it's your first time or you're new to church, um, let me start by introducing myself. My name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're excited that you're joining us. We are a church that is passionate about making people and places new. And um, once again, we're kicking off this this Sunday on talking about the good news. So this is going to be a great service um, to kind of join with us. Before I jump into the message, let me just start by giving a personal update. And some of you guys may have seen on Facebook how um, this past week, one of our little guys, Jaron, one of our kids, um, was running a high temperature. It was about 104 or 105. And it was like that for a few days. And we had to go to Children's Hospital. And my wife and him, they're still in there. And um, they have figured out, I know a lot of you guys have asked, they figured out what was going on. He had some um, staph bacteria in his blood, and so they've been treating him for that. But I just want to say thank you so much um, to everyone that's reached out to us, all of the prayers and the support and the encouragement, um, all of you that have asked um, the way that you can serve our family. I appreciate that so much, and we felt loved this week just by our church family just supporting us through that. The doctors um, have said he's doing good, and so I think he'll be home this week. So we're super excited about that. Um, but just once again, I just want to say thank you so much for loving us um, as your pastors and, and just kind of praying with us through that time. And just as I mentioned, man, we're constantly surrounded by bad news. I even woke up this morning and when I reached for my phone, um, there were some news updates. There was a bombing that happened in Egypt at a church and a number 27 Christians, I think, were killed in that. I mean, there's other updates, political unrest that's happening um, military groups, terrorist groups, mass shootings, all of these different things that are taking place in our world. And this isn't something that's new. This was actually happening at the time of Jesus. The Roman Empire was this political empire that was causing wars to um, happen all over the place that were oppressing people. You had zealot groups like terrorist military groups in Israel um, that were trying to fight them, that were trying to fight the oppression. All of these things that were going on in Jesus arriving on the scene. Jesus showing up here into the brokenness of our world. It was good news to everyone. As a matter of fact, that's how the angels kind of first announced it. This is going to be good news to everyone who hears this. And we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this, walking through the Gospels, these four books of the Bible that talk about the life of Jesus. And gospel simply means this. It simply means good news. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we believe that, that it's good news for us it's not just good news thousands of years ago, but it's good news right now, today, right where we live at. It's good news to everyone that hears it. And so as we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to examine what this means for us, how it brings good news to kind of right where we're at and even to the brokenness that we see in our world. Now, they say confession is good for the soul. So I'm going to start by confessing something to you guys this morning. This isn't something I'd ever thought that I'd stand up here and admit, but I have an addiction that I've recently formed, and it is to a reality TV show. 
kind of embarrassed to admit that, okay? Um, I always made fun of people that watched reality TV shows. I never got at all of the drama and all of this stuff. If you watch a lot of them, I'm sorry, but I just never really got into it. But um, a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting there, we were watching some game show, it got over, and then Survivor came on, okay? I don't know if any Survivor fans out there Okay, a few of you guys. And in case you don't know, it's the show where they take a group of people, they put them on some desert island or some deserted place, and they have to build shelter and food. And they do these competitions. They vote each other off who's going to stay on the island, who's going to go. And it just kind of sucked me in, like just watching what they're going through. I mean, you see these strong men, these strong women um, who are successful, like kind of in their careers in the regular world, and they're just breaking down because of the lack of shelter, the lack of food, what their body is going through, kind of these extreme circumstances that they're going through. It's difficult. And then um, you see people, not just the physical toll that it takes, but I I watched this one guy and he was talking about at the beginning when they first interviewed him, how strong his faith was, like how much Jesus was a part of his life. And it's three weeks in, he's cussing someone out, like he's lying to someone, right? Betraying them. Like it not only takes a physical toll, it's like an emotional toll to be in that kind of extreme situation, that kind of extreme circumstance. And you see those people break down and they start to give into temptation that, they probably never would have kind of faced on their own. And I want us this morning to look at a point in the life of Jesus where he was going through something similar to this, this extreme kind of physical situation in his life and how he stands up to temptation and how the way that Jesus stands up to this temptation is actually good news for us and what it means for us. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter four this morning. We're gonna start reading at verse one. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got one there for you in the seat in front of you. It may be one or two seats over, and you can turn to page 472. I want to encourage you to do that. Take that out. Um, turn to page 472, and you can follow along with us as we look at Matthew writing this story about the life of Jesus. Now, once you have that, Matthew is the first gospel that we come upon kind of in the newer part of the Bible talking about the life of Jesus. We're told about the birth of Christ, so how he was born. Then we're not told anything until Jesus is 12 years old. We're given one story when he's 12 years old in the gospel. And then once again, a kind of a blank period until Jesus is about 30 years old. So he's a grown man at this point, 30 years old, getting ready to go into what's known as his public ministry. This is the point in his life where he's going to go out and do miracles, healings, raise the dead, all of these things, teach about the kingdom of God, starts at the age of 30. And this is where Matthew kind of picks this up in Matthew chapter 4. Before he begins his public ministry, this is what happens. Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, okay? So I want to just pause there. We're, we're going to kind of walk through this scripture together, but let's just pause right here. This is the most, the most massive understatement of the gospels, okay? 40 days, no food, and he's hungry. I don't know about you. I go 40 hours, and I'm hangry, right? Like I'm getting mad at people. I'm getting angry at people. I just need some food inside of my system, my blood sugar's down, all of that, right? I'm, I'm getting... Um, I'm fierce with people. And Jesus is basically starving at this point. And we need to understand what he's going through because it plays into some of these temptations that he's facing, some of the things that he's going through. He's in this wilderness place. Now, it's not like the desert, like you and I probably most of the time think of the desert with these rolling hills of sand, right? And the wind's kind of blowing the sand. This is like a rocky, hard place. 
It's just dry. There's no vegetation, but there's a lot of rocks in this part of Israel. And Jesus is out there isolated by himself. Extreme heat, temperatures that get up to about 110 degrees. This is a hot Texas summer day, right? Like, I mean, just this extreme heat. And then the temperature's dropping at night, 40 or 50 degrees going down. And so you got this hot sun, this heat that's just scorching, and then this cold, frigid air. So Jesus is not sleeping well. He's been in emotional isolation. He's not talked with anyone other than God for the past 40 days. There is no Facebook. There's no internet, right? There's no interaction going on. He is by himself. It takes an emotional toll on him. This is what he's going through. But it's not only the outside physical elements. It's not only emotionally. It's what's physically happening in his body. You and I know this, right? That our body runs off of food. Food is fuel for us. And at the point where you don't have food, where you've gone this many days without it, your body begins to break down the fat storage in, inside of you, right? And it converts that into fuel. And then once it's done with that, it actually attacks your muscles, right? It converts the protein in your muscles, and it's using that to keep your organs going. It's just trying to survive. And this is the point that Jesus is at when scientists have looked at this, actually at about 45 days of no food, it is internal organ failure, Vital organs, liver, kidneys, heart, like these kinds of things are starting to shut down because there is nothing to fuel them any longer. And this is the point that Jesus is at. Matthew says he's hungry. He is, but he is at the point of starving and at physical exhaustion. He has about reached his limit. And this is the point. Satan comes when he's at one of his weakest moments, when he is vulnerable and he starts to tempt him. And this is what it says. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, we start to see this temptation. And the tempter came, this is the devil, and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now the enemy comes when Jesus is weak physical exhaustion, physical extremities around him, emotional isolation at this point. And the enemy begins to attack him and begins to lie to him. And this is the first lie, the first temptation that he presents to Jesus. It is that pleasure is God. Jesus, pleasure is what you're really longing for in this moment, just some kind of satisfaction. And you've got this physical craving in your life. You've got hunger. Jesus, you haven't eaten in days. And what you're really longing for, what you really need, what's really going to do it for you, what you need in your life right now is just to satisfy that appetite, just satisfy that craving. And that's going to do it for you, Jesus. That's really what you're longing for. That's really what you need. It's just physical substance. It's bread at this point. And Jesus reminds the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What is it that Jesus is saying in that moment? That pleasure is not God. It's not just satisfying that physical craving, that appetite that we have, that we are more than just a physical being. We are spiritual beings. C.S. Lewis, this famous Christian author, he said it like this. He said, you do not have a soul. You don't have a soul. That may seem odd. He said, you are a soul, you have a body. And there's a big distinction there. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. You are a spiritual being created by God. You have a physical body. 
And when we get that perspective correct, when we don't believe the lie of the enemy, that pleasure is God, that it's just about satisfying those natural desires, those natural cravings, we understand better how God has designed us to live, what God means for our life, that it's not just about satisfying that natural thing, that we are actual spiritual beings. See, at one point for you and me, this body will break down, right? Disease will take over, old age, something will happen. Someone will bury us in the ground. This body will decay, but our spirit will continue to live. We will go on. We will live forever, either with God in eternity or separated from God in hell. We will continue to live. We are a spiritual being, not just a physical being. And Jesus is using the word of God to remind himself, to remind the enemy, we're not just physical creatures. And pleasure is not the end goal of our life. It's not just satisfying those natural, natural physical cravings. It's actually that I'm a spiritual being and I need as much the spiritual food in my life as I do the physical food. Just as much as Jesus' body, it needed physical substance because it was breaking down at this point. He was reminding himself, he was telling himself, no, I am a spiritual being in every day of my life. I need spiritual food. I need God's word. I need to be in God's presence. I need to be in communion. I need to have conversations with God because I am a spiritual being as well. And my spiritual man, it needs nutrition. It needs substance. And that's what Jesus is reminding himself in this. I'm not just a physical being. Pleasure is not the end goal in life. Pleasure is not what I'm striving for. Pleasure is not the center of my life. It's not God. Only God can take that place. Only God can have that area. And we live in a culture, you guys, that has bought into this lie. We see it in the way that we use language in the things that we say, right? We're looking for pleasure. We're a society that's obsessed with that, right? You just take one area, comfort food. I know I'm going to step on some toes this morning, okay? It's okay. Comfort food, right? That this food, what I eat, what I actually put in my body that's supposed to be used for food, it can comfort me. It can satisfy, it can make me feel okay. Emotionally, I may not be doing okay. I may be stressed out, right? So what do I do? I go to the pantry. I'm grabbing the bag of chips, the, the chewy chocolate chip cookies. I know I'm getting to some of you guys this morning, okay? Like that, it's that stress reliever. I'm, I'm just so stressed out. I, I need this. Now, let me tell you this. I, I think, I know that we're supposed to have food, okay? Jesus is not saying don't eat. That's not what, what he's teaching us here. I believe that God has meant food to be enjoyed, right? He gave us taste buds, so it's not just going in us. We're actually supposed to enjoy it, right? But the problem happens when we think that's the end goal in life, that this pleasure that we're seeking after, that somehow that's going to satisfy us and fill a void that is there that only God can fill. See, you're not just a physical being. You are a spiritual being, and you're as much in need of spiritual food, of relationship with God, as your physical body needs food to continue to exist, to continue to live. And Jesus is reminding himself, you know what? Pleasure is not God in my life. It's not just seeking after that satisfaction. It's that I'm a spiritual being. I need to be in relationship with my creator. I mean, you look around us. We are a culture that is obsessed with that in our sexuality and just looking for one sexual experience to the next. And we're driven. We're a culture that's driven by that sexual experience. I mean, it's everywhere. On your devices, on TV, all around you. I mean, you're driving through Dallas, there's big billboards, there's apps on your phone where you can hook up with someone. Why? Because we're driven by that. We think that's the goal of life. I'm looking for that next experience to satisfy something that I feel like is missing in my life. That's a void there. 
in this reminder from Jesus, you're not just a physical being. It's not just about satisfying some natural craving. You are a spiritual being, and you're made to be in relationship with God. And so Jesus uses the words of Scripture to combat the lies of the enemy. And I've heard people say this so many times. That they come up to me, and they're like, Pastor Aaron, I just have this question for you, man. I have this thing that I do, like this, this kind of thing. I'm struggling with this. And, and if I do this, will I go to hell? Right? Some of you guys, have maybe you've asked this question, or maybe you've had friends that have asked you in church, we're asking the wrong question. This isn't how close can we get to sin without it destroying us. The question is, is this going to help me grow in my relationship with God? Is this going to take me closer to God or further from God? Because pleasure is not the end goal of your life. I'm here to tell you, if you're only searching after happiness, you're going to come up short. You're going to come up empty at some point. The ultimate goal of our life is to be in relationship with our creator. We are a spiritual being, not just a physical being. And we desperately need relationship with the God that has designed us and with the God that has made us. It's vital to our life. So Jesus attacks this first lie of the enemy, the, the second lie. If you still have your Bibles open, Matthew chapter five, 4, verse 5, starting at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. That's kind of the high place. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. This is the devil quoting scripture now to Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. In verse 7, Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, the second lie of the enemy was Jesus' control is God. If you can just control God, if you can finagle God into getting what you want, if you can make God do something, that's really what you need in your life, Jesus. You need control. You need to be in control of this situation. And so force God's hand. I mean, God's not, you're, you're the plan of salvation for all of humanity. He's not going to let you die. And so you're up on this high area, like the highest point of the temple. There are thousands of people around you in the city of Jerusalem. It would have been probably full at this time. And Jesus, if you simply jump off, everyone's going to see that you're in control, that you're the man, that everyone's going to kind of worship you because you've got control of the situation. And Jesus, that's what you need. You just need to force God's hand because he's going to have to do what you want him to do. He's going to have to do what you say. And this lie of the enemy that control is God, that control is really what we need in our life. And Jesus reminds the devil, he's reminding himself, no, Scripture says don't put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to try to bend God's will to my desires or to what I want. I'm going to submit my will and my desires to him. I'm not going to try to get control or have this false sense that I can control everything. I'm going to submit my life to God's control and to what he wants to do. And, and if we're not careful, we believe this lie of the enemy that somehow we as human beings as these kind of, these people that just live for this short amount of time in the spans of all history that somehow we're in control of everything that's going on. And it's just not true. I remember whenever our kids were younger, um, Josiah and Micah were probably just like two and three years old. Someone gave us a gaming console, a Nintendo 64. Some of you guys may remember that. 
And I love to play video games. My kids would want to play them with me, but they weren't good at video games, right? They're just like two and three years old. And so they can't do what, what I wanted to do. And so what I would do, this is a horrible parenting example. Don't do this, okay? I would unhook the controller, but I would set the controller in their lap, right? And they'd be like, look at me, dad. And secretly over here, I'd be playing the game, right? And they thought they were doing this. They were like, look, I'm going around the corner and I'm doing this, right? They, they were so excited. They thought they were controlling the little character on the screen, Mario Kart and all of that. And really, I was the one controlling it. When they got to three and four, they realized, dad, the controller's not even hooked in. It's not doing what I want to. They, they finally started to understand they were not in control of that situation. And the enemy wants to lie to us. And to tell us, hey, you as a person, you can be in control. You can be in control. And I want you to stop and think about that, what that actually means. When we control everything, when we think we can control everything, God is no longer God. He's some kind of magic genie that we put away in our pocket and that we pull out and we make some wish. He's some kind of cosmic puppet that we're trying to control. We want him to do what we want done. We think we know better than God. We want to become the God of God. We want to become the God of God. We want to control him and tell him what to do. We think that's the end goal. If I could just get control, God, if you could just do this. We want to do that. We try to bargain with him, right? Maybe we don't call it control, but we're trying to bargain or negotiate with God. This is perfected in high schools all across America, you guys, right? Like some of you guys are still in this. It's Wednesday morning. Tuesday night, you did not study, okay? You were at home watching TV, calling your friends, playing video games or whatever, but you get in class on Wednesday morning. I know the government and people say prayer has been taken out of school, but algebra tests prove that wrong every single week, okay, you guys? Because students are praying and they're sitting there. They don't care who sees them or what their friends, they're praying, dear Jesus, just let me pass this test. Just let me get a good grade. I will go to NYC on Wednesday night. I'll be at church on Sunday morning. I will clean my room. I'll listen to my parents. I mean, they are pleading with God in that moment. God, just let it happen. Let me just get a good grade, and I won't ever do this again. And we don't just do this. As teenagers, we bring this into our adult life. We try to bargain with God, that God, somehow I know better than you do. I know what should be happening in my life more than you do, God, and so I need you to do this for me. I need you, God, to do this. And if you do this, then maybe I'll do this. I'll, I'll make this promise, God, that I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to do this. We're trying to control. Control has become our God. Control is the central focus of our life, and we're missing out. We're missing out on what God wants for us, that our life is meant to serve him. Our life is meant to be given to him. And can I tell you, in writing this message this week, this one was hard for me because my son is sick. I mean, he's running a high fever. We don't know what's going on, and I'm trying to think, I can't bargain with God. I can't bargain with God. And day after day, as I'm driving up to the hospital, I'm just, I'm praying and saying, God, remind me, I'm not in control of this, God, and that I trust you. See, I don't need to test God. I simply need to trust him, church. I don't need to try to control it all. I need to trust that God is good. And even though I can't see the bigger picture, even though I can't see how all of the puzzle pieces come together, I know, God, that you are good. And so I'm not going to test you. I'm not going to try to bargain with you. I'm not going to try to control everything, God. I'm going to trust you in this moment. I'm going to trust that you are good, God, and you have this situation under control. See, church, there's that temptation, that lie of the enemy that you can control, God 
that control is God. If you can simply get that, that's what you're missing in your life, and that's what you need. And Jesus reminds us that we will not test the Lord our God, that we don't need to test him. We need to simply trust him, that he is good and he's in control. The third temptation that the enemy comes with, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, if you still have your Bibles open, you can read this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came, and they ministered to Jesus. This last lie of the enemy is that power is God. See, the devil wanted to come, and he wanted to tell Jesus, hey, you're a king. You've come to be a king. You've come to rule over people, Jesus. And so if you'll simply bow down and you'll worship me, I'll give you all of the power in the world. All of these kingdoms are mine. The devil's standing there on a high mountain. Look at all of this. All of this is under my authority and my rule, Jesus. And if you'll simply worship me, you'll be the most powerful person in the world. The devil was trying to lie to Jesus, get him to miss his ultimate purpose, that somehow he came here to set up an earthly kingdom, to be an earthly ruler, that he could somehow forego the cross and still get the power that God was wanting to establish in his life, but that was not the case. And Jesus reminds the devil, get away from me. I'm only to worship God and to serve him only. I'm not here for myself. I'm not here for what I can gain. I'm not here for some earthly title, some earthly kingdom, some earthly throne. This isn't about some earthly power. I am here only to serve God, to allow my life to bring glory to him for his ultimate purpose, for his ultimate good. See, Jesus could have probably established some kind of earthly kingdom and throne if he would have succumbed to that temptation. But we would have missed out on God's salvation and redemption. And Jesus knew that's not what his life was about. And you and I, we can get caught up in that same thing, that somehow some position at work will bring satisfaction in our life. We're just looking for some title, some success as the world defines success. If I can simply get that, if other people will look at my life and they will see me as a powerful man, a powerful woman, a strong leader, that's really what I need in my life. And we miss it because our ultimate goal is to serve God, to worship him and to serve him only. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for our own desires. We're not here for some earthly title. We are here that our lives may give glory to God. And that lie of the enemy, that power is God, that power is really what you're missing, some title, some position, and that whenever you achieve that, that's really what you need in your life. And Jesus said, no, my life is to serve him. My life is to serve him. That's why I exist and we need that same focus, that same ability when temptation comes that we would say, God, my life is here every moment, every day, everything that I do, God. It's not to gain more stuff. It's not for some power or some position or some title, God. My life is here to serve you, Lord, it's to serve you. Now, this series is about good news. We see Jesus facing this temptation. We see what Jesus is going through, but there is good news in this. And it's this. You and I are going to face that same temptation, okay? It's not like you become a Christian and I say, God, I want, I want to follow you. I want to do what's good. And all of a sudden, the devil's like, okay, I'm not going to touch that person. 
not going to do anything with that individual. That's not the way it works. This is the son of God, and he's being tempted, okay? And there's no new tricks. The devil has been doing the same thing over and over again for thousands of years, okay? There's not new sin. It's the same stuff. It's sexual immorality. It's lying. It's gossip. It's lust. It's jealousy. It's envy. It's greed. These same things the devil has been doing for thousands and thousands of years. And the good news is Jesus overcame them, and we can too. Because we see Jesus, he doesn't overcome by enacting some cosmic power, some deity, some supernatural strength to overcome the devil. How does he overcome sin? It's through the power of the word of God. And the truth of God's word overcomes the lie of the enemy. The truth of God's word, every time it overcomes the lies of the enemy that he's going to speak in your life. So the devil's going to come to you and it's going to happen this week, okay? It may even happen as you leave. It may happen next week. It's going to happen at some point that the enemy, demonic forces are going to come and they're going to try to speak lies just like they were here in the life of Jesus. You know what? What you're missing in your life is pleasure. God's holding back on you. This Christian life, look at everyone else. They're having fun and you're missing out. You really don't have pleasure in your life, but that's the ultimate meaning of life. That's what you need to go after. You know what? God doesn't see your situation. You need to try to control. You know better than God does. You know better than the word of God. You need to try to control what's going on around you. That really should be God in your life. That should be your main focus is just getting control. Hey, it's power. It's just trying to get to that next position at work. Just getting that title, getting success and having people look at you and say you're a successful. That's really what you need in your life. And every time when we face that temptation, we overcome by the power of God's word. Church, that's why every week we stand up here and we talk about opening scripture. That's why every week we challenge you to engage in God's word, to reflect on scripture. We talk about how it's vital to your spiritual growth because I'm here to tell you if Jesus was tempted, you're gonna be tempted. You're gonna be tempted in your life. And the way that you stand up to that the way that you combat the lies of the enemy is by knowing God's word and reminding yourself, reminding the enemy when he comes and when he lies to you that my life is not just about pleasure. I'm more than just a physical being. I'm meant to be in relationship with my creator. My life is more than just about having control. I'm not gonna test God. I'm gonna trust in him. My life isn't about power. It's about serving God, giving everything that I am over for his will, for his purpose for my life. See, you need the word of God to combat that temptation, to combat the lies of the enemy that he wants to tell you. And this is a powerful reminder, you guys, this is good news. Jesus overcame. And it doesn't matter what temptation you're facing, you're not the first to face it and you won't be the last. But you and I, we overcome. We're victorious, just like Jesus was through the power of God's word through reminding ourselves what scripture says and what God wants for our life. Now I wanna pray for you this morning. I'm gonna ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes. This morning, you may be here and if you're honest with yourself, you would say, you know what, Aaron? I've been falling into some of these temptations. I've bought into some of the lies of the enemy and I realize that I've allowed sin into my life. The word of God says that, that sin breaks our relationship with God. And the truth is you and I, we can't fix that on our own. We can't do anything about that 
in and of ourselves, we're helpless. And the good news is that Jesus came. And him coming, him arriving here on the earth changed everything. He went to the cross for your sin and for my sin so that we could be forgiven and restored back into a right relationship with God. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, Aaron, I don't have that relationship, but I want that fresh start. I want that relationship with God this morning. In a moment, as we get ready to dismiss, we're gonna give you the opportunity to come forward. You may be here and God may be speaking to you through this message and you're saying, you know what, Aaron, I have a relationship with God, but I need to be stronger in God's word. I feel like the enemy's attacking me with some of these temptations and I don't wanna give in. Our prayer team is gonna be up here and we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna pray with you. Now I'm gonna ask them to come right now, our, our prayer team, those of you that are helping us at the end of service here to pray for people, if you would just make your way up front. And this is how we're gonna close again this week. We're not gonna have a formal dismissal, but here in just a moment, I want you to take just a second and reflect on God's word. Just reflect on what God is saying to you. Are there any of those things in your life that the enemy's attacking you with and you need to stand on the word of God? You need to stand on the truth of God's word. And then if you're here and you need prayer for anything, once again, if you're saying, I wanna start a relationship with God, or it can be something totally different. You have a need in your life. We wanna pray with you. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of the word of God. And so, so we wanna join with you before you head out this morning and just ask God to meet that need in your life. So this is what I'm gonna ask you to do is just take a moment, reflect on scripture. If you need prayer, you can come forward for anything. I wanna invite you to come. And then whenever you're done, we're not gonna have a formal dismissal. You can head out this morning. We will see you back here next week for Easter Sunday. You can grab yard signs or invite cards, but just take a moment. Allow God to speak to you. If you need prayer, you can come forward when you're ready for that, and we're going to pray with you.